forget about Jim Ray. Would you give God a round of applause? Beautiful the way that he demonstrates his glory around us. Terry, if you can load up that last picture, I don't know if that's possible, but if you can get to that one, we'll use it again in just a few minutes. So all of that comes from the passage that Jim read just a few minutes ago, the verse that he read and the ones that precede it. Let me read them for you one more time. This is from John chapter 1, verse 1. The apostle writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Powerful teaching powerful teaching that culminates right here on Christmas weekend for us to understand that the Word, who is Jesus, the Word was with God in the very beginning and the Word was God. Jesus was with Him in the beginning. Jesus is God. And what we are celebrating over the course of this weekend and even the weeks leading up to this is His great love for us. It's wonderful. It is wonderful and it is powerful. But it is not just that one title for Jesus, the Word, that John uses. He uses another one. There are two titles for Jesus in the passage we just read. I hope you caught them. If not, here they are again. The Word of God and the Light of Men. Both of those are titles or names even for Jesus. The Word of God and the Light of Men. I want us to look at both this morning. We're going to start with the Word. We've talked a lot about this, and if you happen to be here last Sunday, we really talked a lot about it. But here's the title again, The Word. Now listen one more time to how John starts this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to put this up on the screen for you just so you can see it for yourself. I want to make sure that everybody has the visual. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is incredibly powerful teaching that would have reached out to the Jewish listeners as well as the Greek listeners of John's day. This type of cryptic language is hard for us in Western Christianity in the year 2023 to wrap our minds around. But in real time, as John was writing his gospel, this would have spoken very loudly to all of his listeners. They would have all understood it. Irregardless of their background, they would have understood this. Because you see, when the word, word, shows up in Scripture like it does in John chapter 1, there is a Greek word used for it that they were all very familiar with. This is it. Logos. He was the Logos. In the Jewish traditions, to hear the word Logos would direct them backwards so that they would look at some of the things that the Old Testament had to teach about the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the person of God. Utilizing passages like these, we'll show you just three of them, they'll all be up on the screen. This is from Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. By the word or the Logos 
of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Or there's this one also from the Psalms, 107 verse 20. He sent out his word, he sent out his logos, and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Or try this one. This is Psalm 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word, your logos, is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your sovereignty, your power, is firmly fixed in the heavens. All that God is, is firmly fixed in the heavens, the psalmist would say. But then John uses that same exact term in the New Testament, and that's going to capture a bunch of people's attention because he's talking about the logos, the word of God, leaving heaven. And all of the Greek listeners would have heard this at the same time the Jewish listeners were looking backwards, the Greek listeners would have been looking right in the presence to understand that something was happening. In fact, there's one author that would make this statement about the use of logos in the New Testament. In the Greek worldview, the logos was thought of as a bridge between the transcendent God and the material universe. So the use of this word logos in the New Testament to the Greek listeners and a few of the Jewish listeners meant this, God is communicating with us. The sovereign God, the all-powerful God, the one who created the heavens and all that is around us, the one who created the universe, the one who created the earth that we stand on is communicating with us. The Logos has something to say, and we better pay attention. Of course, that message is wrapped up, and we know this because of this time of year. It is wrapped up in a, a wonderful, wonderful message of love. I love you, God said. I love you, and I want relationship with you. I love you and I will do whatever is necessary to have that relationship. If you've studied the Gospel of John at all, you know that God goes so far as to say that I love you so much that I will send my son to die for you. And anyone who believes in him, you'll have eternal life. You will have eternal relationship with me. That is my logos. That is my word. Jesus is my bridge to that relationship so that we can be together forever. And that was the message of Christmas at the first coming of Christ. That was the logos of God, the communication of God. Yes, I'm sovereign. Yes, I am all-powerful. Yes, I am the creator of all that there is. Yes, I am unlike anyone that you will ever meet. I am unlike anyone that you would ever give the title God to. I alone am God. But I love you. I love you. And I want to be with you forever. And my word says that we can be. Trust it. Trust it. Believe in me. That was the message of Christmas, the first coming of Christ. What you may not realize, though, even as we've gone through this study of let there be light, is that it doesn't just show up in the Old Testament and then in the Gospel of John. There are other places where this idea of Jesus being the Word of God, the Logos of God, shows up as well. And we have to pay attention to that. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you have that Bible still in your hands, let's go to Revelation 19. 
Revelation chapter 19. It's not very long. I'm going to read the whole chapter for you. Still, I want you to see it for yourself. One verse in particular. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. A fun turn of events. The Apostle John is the author of this book as well. He knows what he is writing about. Listen close. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. That's verse 13. Take a look. It's up on the screen for you right now. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Logos of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Here's the thing I want you to catch. 
the logos of God, the word of God, the use of that word to talk about the coming of Christ is used by John to describe his first coming, Christmas. But it is also used to describe his second coming, one that still sits out in front of us. The logos of God, the word of God, is used to help us understand both. So if we took John chapter 1 and we laid it side by side with Revelation chapter 19 and we really started studying it, you could find some amazing similarities, but we would also find some amazing teaching that all of us need to pay attention to. One lets us look backwards. The other lets us look ahead. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I sent this as a graph, and so we had to break it down in order to really make it work up on the screen. So where you see first, that's talking about the first coming of Christ. Where you see second, it's talking about the second coming of Christ. So his first coming, John chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, you can use either one of those. Put together with Revelation chapter 19, as you look at his second coming, here's what you discover. At his first coming, he was born to a virgin in poverty. At his second coming, he will return in glory. At his first coming, his birth was announced by angels. At his second coming, his return is heralded by angels. At his first coming, the angelic message was a savior is born. At the second coming, the angelic message will be a judge has appeared. At his first coming, his birth was unnoticed by most. At his second coming, his omnipotence is proclaimed to everyone. At his first coming, he came alone. At his second coming, he returns with legions of angels. At his first coming, hotels were closed to him. At his second coming, heaven is opened for him. At his first coming, he brought peace on earth. At his second coming, he judges and makes war. At his first coming, his eyes are closed in a baby's sleep. At his second coming, his eyes are a flame of fire. In his first coming, his head is nestled to a virgin mother. At his second coming, on his head are many crowns. At his first coming, he was wrapped in swaddling cloth. In his second coming, he will be clothed in a robe dipped in blood. In his first coming, the armies of Herod pursued him. At his second coming, the armies of heaven will follow him. At his first coming, out of his mouth came a baby's cry. At his second coming, out of his mouth will come a sharp sword. At his first coming, his name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And at his second coming, on his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the word of God. He is the logos of God. Whether that is in his first coming or in his second coming, he is the logos of God. And Christmas reminds us of that. Christmas keeps our hearts and our minds focused on that truth. But there was a second title John used. Do you remember that? We started with the word, but then there's this second one. He is also known as the light of the world. I've been sitting on what I'm going to share with you now for the last four weeks, saved it for today, because I really want you to see something about Jesus being the light of the world that maybe you've never seen before. For that, 
we have to go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 67. Zechariah is the one who would prophesy this about the coming Messiah. I like this a lot. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And we're going to back up so that you take a really close look at a super cool prophecy about Jesus. Let's go back to verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You may not have seen it yet, so here, we'll put it up on the screen. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, we know from John's teaching that Jesus was going to bring light into the world, that the darkness would not overcome him. You saw a lot of that in the pictures that Jim put up just a few minutes ago. Darkness could not overcome the glory of God. The glory of God shines out in the midst of darkness. No matter how dark it is, the glory of God shines out in the midst of it. But here's the really cool thing, really cool thing. The title for Jesus that helps us understand how that works is sunrise. He is the sunrise. In the original language, that has its own term as well. Here it is. Well, I'm sorry, in some translations of the Bible, you may read that as day spring. So day spring and sunrise are exactly the same thing. Here's the word in the original language. The Anatole, translated as pure as we can make it, means east. It just means east. What happens in the east? The sun rises. Jesus is the sunrise. He is the sunrise. Now, I told you this is going to get really cool, and you might think, Phil, that's just a title. That's just a name. How is that really cool? So happy you ask. I want to show you what happens in God's economy when the sun rises. Let's go to the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Lamentations chapter 3. 
verse 22. This is not a messianic prophecy, but after the time of Christ, it becomes a messianic teaching. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Listen close. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God's mercies are new every morning. Jesus is the sunrise. God's mercies are new every morning, which means when you go to bed at night as a believer in Christ, you get to hit a gigantic reset button. The problems of yesterday are yesterday's problems. Today is a new day in Christ. His mercies are new every morning. When you lay down in bed at night, the mistakes of today are simply that, the mistakes of today. God's mercies are new every morning. And God wants us to understand that in His Son, Jesus, that grace has been poured out on us so that we are not measured by the mistakes of yesterday. We are not measured by the troubles of today. We are measured by the new mercies of God every morning, every morning. And God gives us a sunrise, this is where it gets super cool, to remind us of that. He gives us a sunrise to remind us of that. A few minutes ago, Jim led us in the Lord's Supper, which is a wonderful, wonderful gift from God that helps us remember His sacrifice for our sins and helps us remember His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And God said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what communion is all about. But God is a God of reminders, and He gives us a sunrise every morning to preach His Son. Every day, every day. Lady came in early this morning. The sun was just starting to come up. And when she walked in, I'm not going to tell you who it was. Well, sure I will. It was Robin Tardiff. Robin came in and she said this to me. So that's what a sunrise looks like. She's not a fan of the morning. And quite honestly, I tend to not be myself. But I can tell you this, every time I'm up and I see the sunrise, I am moved by it. Now, why would that be? Because it is more than just the rising of the sun in the sky. It is a reminder of God's great love for us and of His Son. It's a reminder of Jesus. Now, I promised you something really cool. So here's the really cool part. I did a little digging around this week, internet research, so you know it's solid. So I'm just digging around on the internet, trying to find out on average, worldwide, how long people live. So here's what I came up with, and I found several different sources because I wanted to make sure that this was validated, verified, whatever word you want to use, by more than just one source. So several different sources said, on average, worldwide, globally, a person lives to be 80 years old, plus or minus a few years, but on average, it is 80 years. 
So I did some preacher math on that. Now let me help you understand what preacher math is. We can count, one, two, three, four, five, and we, we don't go much further than that, but we can do some basic multiplication as well. If you find a preacher that is better at math than that, he probably shouldn't be a preacher. So that's as far as we go. That's, that's just as good as we get with math. So I took 80 and multiplied it by 365. Simple preacher math. And what I was looking for was how many times in an average person's life does God preach the message of grace, mercy, and peace through his son, Jesus Christ, in the most subtle of ways in a person's life. And here's what we came up with. 29,200 times. On average, 29,200 times. That's how many times the sun is going to rise on average in a person's life. God preaches his son. Because one of the names for his son is the sunrise. The sunrise. And it is a reminder of his goodness and the resetting of the clock in grace. It is a reminder of how much God loves us. The sun rises on our life every morning. And the darkness cannot overcome it. Something that we take for granted, the rising of the sun, is actually a gospel message from Jesus. The darkness will never, ever overcome him. Not ever. 29,200 times on average, that message is preached in your life. The message of Christmas, the Logos of God, the Anatoly of Jesus is preached in our lives. Isn't that cool? Which leaves us with a question, one that we all have to face. And that is a simple one. What do we do with that type of knowledge? And I can't think of anyone better than the birth mother of Jesus to help us understand that. I'm still in Luke. This is Luke chapter 1. Verse 46. Tell you what, while some of you are turning there, I'm just going to invite our worship team to come up on stage. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here's another one of those subtle things in Scripture that if you look really close, you will see it. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, was speaking about her son, she did not refer to him as a Savior. She did not refer to him as the Savior. Do you see what she called him? My Savior. My Savior. Mary would actually say that. Folks, when we are able to say that Jesus is my Savior, then we have listened to the Logos of God and we have experienced the Anatole of Jesus, the sunrise of Jesus in our lives. And he has become our Savior. When that happens... Our voices can join together with others on this earth and those in heaven and even the angelic realm to sing words like this. Why don't you stand with us?